Welcome to the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. I'm Andrew Kahn. I'm Ryan Zook. And I'm Aaron McMahon. This is a basketball-themed episode as Michigan's men's team tries to build an NCAA tournament resume and the women try to put a stranglehold on the Big Ten. We bring you up to speed on all that, then touch on Michigan hiring a new defensive coordinator for the football team. All coming up on Wolverine Confidential. All right, guys, as we record here on a Wednesday afternoon, February 9th, again, probably with listeners getting in on, on Thursday. I don't know if we, we mentioned in our editor's move. We've got, got one in, in the UK now, so a little bit of a time difference, but still serving you listeners just the same. Yeah, got got a lot to touch on. As I mentioned there at the end of the intro, the Michigan football team did hire a new defensive coordinator, and we're going we're gonna to hit on that. But let's start with basketball. The men's and, and women's teams are in a kind of very different places here. We'll, we'll start with the men. They are fighting for an NCAA tournament bid, essentially. They're, they're looking to try to get invited to this thing, and they, they need to put together a much better resume. I don't know. As you guys like watch this team, do they look like an NCAA tournament team to you? <laughs> no. <laughs> but then I then I think back every year to like the depth of the Big Ten and I like you know this I think this Northwestern team is probably better than people think I think the Penn State team is probably better than than their record indicates so it's going to be close but I, I, no but like if they, if they if they can pull some wins off down the stretch here I wouldn't be surprised if they get it. I mean, they definitely have spurts where, like, all right, the, you, you could see the pieces are there, and it's like, all right, this team, if, if they're consistent, they they have the the makings of a, of a tournament team, but the, it hasn't been there. So I guess in a sense, no, like you need to be a, a consistent team throughout the year to to deserve a bid. And at this point, they they haven't really done that. Still, some season left, but again, you're I, I feel like fans are, are left wanting more after most games. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a funny thing. Obviously, you guys don't fall into this category, but as far as like fans of teams. Like any team that if you're a fan of a team on the bubble, like your answer is almost always no, they don't really look like one. But like if, you know, if you talk to like, uh, I don't know, you know, Washington State fans or, you know, Memphis fans or North Carolina fans like, yeah, we no, we do. This is this is not an NCAA tournament team like we stink or whatever. But like that, that's how it is on the bubble like every year. All the teams think or have their problems if we're being really more more objective about it all. And, and that's that's kind of how it how it then yeah, got you gotta put 68 teams in the field is the is really <laughs> what it amounts to. It's not like there's a cutoff where you know, all right, you have to be this good to make it in. No, they're taking 68 no matter how you slice it. So that, so is Andrew that, saying that that there's too many teams that make the tournament right now? No, not at all. But the bubble, the bubble is always that's a t- you know, those are those are weak teams that typically, you know, aren't going to compete for a championship. But every now and then do, you know, we've had we've had a couple teams go from, you know, the the first four, if you will, to the final four and UCLA last UCLA year, right? just last year. So it, it can happen. But yeah, I, I basically find that like fans think that there's no way that's an NCAA tournament worthy resume until Selection Sunday comes around and then they're all arguing that they belong in. So here's Michigan, which, as Aaron alluded to. There are chances there to to turn this thing around and, and get a and get a bid because they play nothing but you know quad one games for the most part down the stretch here. Um, you know, there's a home game against Rutgers that that would not qualify, but you know, the, the rest of the schedule is loaded, you know, with with Purdue coming Thursday, Ohio State on Saturday, and then road trips to Iowa, Wisconsin, home games against Illinois and Michigan State and Iowa, and then a road trip to Ohio State to close the year. So it's the opportunities are there. They just have to actually like win the game. Like, will will they do that? That's the question. How many games do you think they have to win to to be safely, securely? I'm just going to ask that. <laughs> that that is the the question. So if they get, they're currently at six and five in the in the Big Ten, right? So if they get, if they finish, uh, just make it simple. If they finish like an even five hundred, which 
would be what like the the computers expect them to do, which is maybe what like Vegas you could say would expect them to do uh, at this point, um, which is win your home games against Ohio State, Rutgers, Michigan State, and Iowa, okay, and lose the other ones. That would put you, you know, at at ten and ten in the Big Ten, sixteen and fourteen overall going into the Big Ten tournament. And then you'd have to win several games in the Big Ten tournament. So like as far as what you want going into the Big Ten tournament, you probably want to be four games over 500 because that is what the kind of standard has been for NCAA tournament teams. I, th- I think we touched on this in the last pod, yes, where you know my pal Jerry Palm over at CBS Sports has looked at this. And yes, last year, Michigan State got in only being three games over, but that was the first team in 20 years. And he doesn't even really count them because last year was so unique with the scheduling because of COVID, teams played a much smaller non-conference schedule and even certain conference games got wiped away. So it just wasn't a full picture. It's not an apples to apples comparison. This year, schedules are are looking much more normal. Teams played normal non-conference schedules for the most part. And yeah, so you'd think you'd go back to that standard. It's not a rule. I mean, it's not a rule. The only rule for NCAA tournament inclusion is that you're you're eligible. You weren't banned by the NCAA for some you know off-court issue or whatever. So as long as you're eligible, you can be in. And as long as And unless you win your conference tournament, you're not guaranteed a spot. So other than that, yeah, all all teams are considered. And I, I, you know, Michigan could have this weird thing where they win. They win the tougher games I I just mentioned. And, you know, uh, say lose, you know, have some bad losses. Like they lose to Rutgers at home and and to Iowa at home. That then gets them in with that record because just the, the quality of wins would be so great. But more likely than not, they need to get to, you know, 17 and and 13 um, overall. In, in the Big Ten to, to get there, um, which would be, you know, five, five and four down the stretch of this Big Ten season, which is possible. Yeah. And I think that's fair. Like if, if a team can, it can go, you know, above 500 in conference play. And as I you know talked earlier, the Big Ten is relatively considered one of the better conferences in college basketball. Top to bottom, it's pretty deep. You've got some talented teams there. And again, if they can pick off, you know, four or five of these final nine games, and, you know, score a win against, you know, a Purdue or an Ohio State or whoever, or Illinois, I mean, that's obviously going to help their resume. And I think that would, you know, I think it's momentum going in the Big Ten tournament. And that's, I think, going to be key here. You know, even if Michigan does go six and three down the stretch or five and four, whatever the case may be, maybe, like you said, Andrew, I think they're still going to have to win a couple of games in the Big Ten tournament just to solidify their standing. And, but at that point, I think I think if you're a conference you know, selection committee member, I think you got to look at Michigan's resume at that point and say, okay, you know, they got stronger, maybe stronger at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And you know, and, and again, they're in, they're in a good conference, so I think that certainly helps them. But that, that again, they've got to win, go out and win some of these games, and, and be maybe consistent about doing it. And that's something we just we haven't seen from this team all season. It is pretty crazy that it's February and we're talking about Michigan as a, as a bubble team. I mean, I don't. Think many people expected this discussion at the at the start of the season. They were were they, were they top ten to start the year? Yeah, six. Yeah, six. Um, Jeez. I I have no problem. I'm one of the weird writers. Where I have no problem like punishing myself and and referring back to my preseason predictions and rankings and things like that. Some people just like to forget about them. Uh, you know, once postseason comes around. But yeah, I, I mean, I have a vote in the AP poll, and uh, I I put Michigan, you know, top ten. I think I might have even had them five or four in in the preseason. But yeah, I think you know, again, a, a future podcast can be discussed about exactly like what went wrong you know if this team you know can't can't get there but yeah it would be it would be quite the fall i mean that's that's another thing how many teams win the big 10 and don't make the ncaa tournament the next year i i I'm, that's another thing i plan to, to look into here in these in these coming weeks but again the opportunities are there it's just it's interesting you know i talked about if they just you know holding serve even based on what they're expected to do say by these computers is is not 
is not easy by any means. Like, all right, yeah. So, so you beat Ohio State at home and Michigan State and Iowa at home. Like, okay, th- those are not given by any means. I mean, again, I'm looking here at you know the KenPom.com predict- predictions. The Ohio State win is by predicted by one point. Michigan State by two points. Iowa by one point. Um, so like the Rutgers game is the only one that's that's comfortable, and the losses are kind of more you know a bigger deficit. So it's hard. Just holding serve will be hard, and then yeah, pulling off some of the the other true upsets um, even more difficult. You know, does this team have it in them? I don't know. You got to look at like what games are you looking at that tell you they can do it? Because right now their best win is at Indiana. Like that's not that's not a great win by by any stretch. I mean, it, it's impressive to go on the road and and. And beat a team that's in the middle of the back of your conference, I guess. But it's not. Is is it? Does it give you hope that they're going to beat you know a Purdue in Illinois, you know, or even even you know Michigan State? So I I don't know. I don't know. They have to play better than they've been playing. But you know, it's it's possible, is what I'm saying. I'm saying we kind of saw that. You know, they lost by six to Purdue. You know, a yeah. few days ago. So they were competitive, and they've been competitive in some of these games now. You can make the case maybe they shouldn't be competitive against a Penn State or or whatever the case may be, but or you know Nebraska, but they're 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 coming out and playing harder every night. And I think at some point, if you're Jawan Howard and you're the coaching staff, that I think they're expecting a breakthrough moment or breakthrough game where they can kind of string some of these you know you know exceptional efforts together and, and get some big time wins. And you know if you're going to do it, now's the time to do it. So I think we're going to learn a lot about this team down the stretch, whether they're you know a tournament contender or not. Like I said. The two programs here at Michigan are, are in different places. The women on the other side are are in great shape to win the Big Ten and get potentially a number one seed uh, in the NCAA tournament. They're at eleven and one in conference. You know, Indiana eight and one, uh, and then a trio of teams at nine and three. Michigan already beat Indiana in their lone head-to-head meeting. They swept Ohio State. They beat Maryland on the road, and they they already beat Iowa at home. Those are those other teams that are trailing them. So that helps. Um, their schedule this week is. Thursday at Michigan State, uh, a team that is six and five in the Big Ten and currently, you know, not considered an NCAA tournament team. And at Northwestern on Sunday, same. They're their game. They're they're five and five in the Big Ten. So two games you'd expect to win, but Ryan, as you know, you know, and Aaron too, uh, on the road, especially against a rival, no, no guarantee. Yeah, no, not at all. And, and as they racked up these wins, the, the more pressure is put on them. I mean, this is a program that's never won a Big Ten title before. So we'll, we'll see how they respond. So far, so good. But it's it's crunch time now. And 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 there's every they're going to get every team's best moving forward. And, and they kind of caught a little bit of a break catching Indiana and Iowa both shorthanded. And, and they took advantage and won those games. But yeah, well, there's still five more to go. And, and we'll see how they they respond. And possibly a six. Was there any talk uh, after the Iowa game, Ryan, about getting that Illinois game rescheduled? Or, or there was no? not. So yeah, that is that is a possibility. But I mean, at, at this point, I haven't heard anything on that. I know Cape Kim Barnes Rico was saying that they were supposed to have a call with the Big Ten either this week or next week to discuss how the Big Ten championship would be decided with with teams playing a different amount of games. But I assume maybe they would get an update on that Illinois game then. But yeah, at this point, I am not sure. Don't come to me for information on that. I know nothing about when the games are actually going to be played, as I learned this week. Uh, (laughs) Scheduling, you know, analysis of what's happening on the court and some, you know, off-court features and stuff. I'm good at that. But actually, when the games are going to be played, who the heck knows? Uh, I found it funny as I was watching Watching the ESPN broadcast last night, they showed Michigan the men's upcoming schedule and they listed Iowa as February 15th next Tuesday, which I had reported at one point was happening because, you know, someone inside the program had been told that was happening. And the official 
schedule on the website said that that's what was happening, that they've since reverse course on that apparently. And it's, it's staying put on next Thursday as far as we know, that's kind of what the women are, are looking at. They're at a two seed in the um, in in the latest bracketology on ESPN. So you know, trending in the right direction there. And again, we've said it before. We'll say it again. You're one of the top four seeds in your region. You get to host games for the first two rounds, and and that's huge. So yeah, the path to you know advancing far in the NCAA tournament is on the table now. If Michigan can can finish the season strong. So yeah, like we, like we said, this was mostly a basketball episode, but there, there is something that happened, you know, with the, with the football team here, uh, in the last 24 hours, I guess. And that is the hiring of a new defensive coordinator. Yeah. If you guys could kind of tell me a little bit about him. Yeah. Uh, not official yet, but I expect an announcement to come probably in the next 24, 48 hours, probably by the end of the week, at least, you know, Jesse mentor mentor, I guess I should say spelled M I N T E R, uh, defensive coordinator Vanderbilt has, uh, been named the new defensive coordinator in Michigan reports out and it's, it's been confirmed behind the scenes that, that he has in fact been hired. Another uh, former Baltimore Ravens assistant Minter is 38 years old. so a little bit older than Mike McDonald. You know, he was on the Ravens staff for, for about four years under John Harbaugh, kind of worked his way up again from kind of intern quality control type guy to defensive backs coach during his final year there in Baltimore. Uh, worked with Mike McDonald pretty heavily. He's very familiar with the scheme Mike McDonald was running. So it, it seems, it makes sense to me. Uh, another younger guy, as I mentioned, you know, it seems, by all accounts, he seems to be well-liked. He does have defensive coordinator experience. So there's the one difference between him and Mike McDonald. He, he was a defensive coordinator at Georgia State from 2013 to 2016. He was a defensive coordinator at Indiana State from 2011 to 2012. So he's been the D coordinator at lower levels. He's worked in the NFL he finally got his shot as D coordinator last year at Vanderbilt. They weren't very good. I mean, you can tell you can you can make the case it was one year, different talent, all the all the you know all you know different coach, everything else. But he's gonna get his opportunity. You know, I I, I expect it to be a very um you know he's probably gonna work hand in hand with Steve Klingscale. We're expecting Klingscale's title to get changed to co defensive coordinator. Both of those guys are defensive back coaches, so it's very interesting to see how this kind of pans out. Minter also coached the safeties last year at Vanderbilt, in addition to being the coordinator. So you kind of got a, def- a quarterbacks coach and a safeties coach working together. I'm very curious to see how that works out. But in a way, it kind of makes sense, too, because as we've mentioned in you know, the podcast in the last few weeks, Mike Elston has been added, a veteran defensive line coach. I wonder if he's going to have a hand in some degree in this, because there were reports that, that came out in the last week or so that Jim Harbaugh was seriously considering Mike Elston for the defensive coordinator job. In fact, I believe he interviewed him. And there were other names that came up, a couple of blasts from the past, Anthony Campanelli, former Michigan assistant, uh, Chris Partridge, another Michigan former Michigan assistant. They were uh, under consideration. I don't know how serious it was. Um, but, but yeah, anyway, uh, Minter is the guy, another, another Ravens assistant, uh, comes to, uh, Jim Harbaugh. I know we, we talked about this a lot and, and, and continuing to, or bringing in a similar, or guy that will run a similar defense to Mike McDonald. But the more I thought about it is with, with how many pieces they lost from last year and, and key pieces, I don't think it would have been the, if there was a time to kind of start over, it probably would have been this year, given like the all the personnel changes that's going to be going on on that defensive side of the ball. We'll see if the same scheme works as well with with without guys like Daxon Hill and Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo. But uh, I, I'm not surprised Michigan went in this direction. It, it definitely is good for the players to kind of have that continuity on, on defense. But the more I thought about it, the more I, I, I thought 
hey, maybe it wouldn't be the worst thing if, if Michigan goes in a different direction and with a guy that maybe would, would change things up a little bit. The, the one thing about Mike, Mike McDonald, and we've probably addressed it in the past, but he was very good at adapting. So I don't think he came into Michigan last year with a you know a game plan for, I'm going to do this, this, and this. I, I generally think he looked at the personnel and looked at who Michigan had coming back and very much shaped the defensive scheme around those guys. And we've talked about it before. I mean, they accentuated Aiden Hutchinson, changed the way he played a little bit, uh, brought along David Ajabo, changed the way Dax and Hill played. And I think you're going to see a little bit of that from Minter this year. He's probably going to look at the personnel and, and look at who Michigan has coming back. They've got some pieces to fill. And we'll get into those in the future weeks and future episodes. Um, but they're very much going to have to change it to, to kind of, you know, to blend to Michigan strengths. So I, I think Minter, as, as I mentioned, kind of grew up in that Baltimore Ravens system. He, he obviously has some philosophies from an X's and O's perspective. It'll probably want to do things similarly, um, but he's also not going to be afraid to change and adapt on the fly. And that's, I think, key nowadays, especially in the college game to being a coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. You've got to adapt to changing offenses in different ways of, of stopping of stopping opposing teams. That was the one knock against Don Brown. He just wouldn't do it. It was very consistent. He ran the same thing all the time. And McDonald, uh, and I don't think his philosophy was that much different from Don Brown, but the way he went about doing it was different. And that's why Michigan was more successful last year defensively. And Minter, you know, he's going to have his hands full and, you know, and replenishing the roster and getting a kind of a jumpstart in recruiting. Because remember, I mean, not only did they lose McDonald, but they lost Nua. So they've got some holes to fill in, in some gaps to fill on, on the recruiting trail. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll see what he has. I, I think, I don't think this can be that much of a, uh, you know, jump off from McDonald, like you said, Ryan. I'm glad you brought up recruiting because uh, it is going to be interesting to see how he fares on, on the trail because, yeah, like you said, he spent f- four or five years with, with the Ravens, then came to Vanderbilt, who recruits like a Mac school in, in the SEC. So, like, they, they definitely, I was looking at some of their recruits they brought in. I mean, they're, it's, they haven't had a, a class in the top 30 in, in quite some time, and typically in the in the 50s sometimes as well so obviously not bringing in top talent there so I think that's a big reason why Vanderbilt struggled in, in the SEC last year and, and in previous years so we'll see if he can hit the ground running at Michigan he'll have a lot more resources available to him obviously a bigger brand college football brand to work with so yeah it will be interesting to see how quickly he can get things up and running recruiting wise for Michigan it's, it's really amazing how much of a difference school Yes, you mentioned brand and facilities and name recognition alike matters in recruiting. I remember talking to Sharon more about it a couple of years ago when I wrote a feature. You know, when, when he arrived in Michigan and he came from kind of you know Central Michigan, you know, Mac school doesn't exactly attract the t- the best of the best talent. Yet Sharon Moore has come in and, and quickly become Michigan's best recruiter. Obviously, personality and the ability to you know to to talk to recruits is a big deal. But he one of the things he hammered home was the fact that I've got Michigan. I'm, I got the block M on my chest. That makes such a big deal. So I think. For anyone who is a decent recruiter or can, you know, um, you know, communicate well with with you know high school kids. If you got the, you know, whether it's Michigan or Texas or USC, mm-hmm. whatever big school you want, it it, it makes a difference. So I, I certainly think it'll certainly help mentor. Yeah, I mean, you say Central Michigan doesn't bring in much talent. Uh, maybe on the football team, on the but football, I, I heard yes. I heard they brought in some pretty good journalists over the years. But who knows? I might be wrong there. It's great points all around. I, I think that for any coach. Like sometimes this word gets overused, but it's kind of more about your culture and then, you know, just your ability to kind of accentuate your your players strengths and mask their weaknesses. Right. Rather rather than just being known for a scheme. I think if you you're known for just like kind of one thing, it becomes gimmicky and it becomes exploitable. Uh, And I, I I'm not saying that's exactly what happened with Don Brown. But, you know, when you again, you're kind of set in this is how we're going to do things. Sometimes it could be a, you know, a square peg in a, in a round hole situation uh, and a uh, other teams 
taking advantage of it. Um, so yeah, I think what you saw with McDonald was more just you know not overhauling things every week, but you know doing what it took to win that game and you know molding it to the skill set of the players on, on the roster. You know that that being said, this hire sure does from what you guys have said so far, kind of <laughs> scream, hey. We lost the guy. Let's go out and find the guy who's kind of closest to him. Right? I mean, like they just the resumes and, and things like that. Now, personality wise, I don't know, and that'll be that'll be important because McDonald seemed to be very well liked, you know, by by players and coaches in the building too. Uh, how often do we hear, you know, Coach Mac? That's my guy. But you know, the, from from the football standpoint, it, it sort of it sort of made sense as a kind of plug and play scenario for for this upcoming season. All right, so Jesse Minter coming to Michigan. Expect you know continued coverage of that uh, on mlive.com slash Wolverines. We've hit on basketball. We've hit on football. I hate that it gets relegated to the end of the podcast sometime. But listen, you gotta you gotta maybe come you know make the Frozen Four. We'll start we'll we'll start leading with this thing. But what's uh, what's the latest hockey update, Zoo? Uh, latest hockey update is well, first off, I mean their top four players are going to be gone now for the next two series playing in the Olympics, and I'm excited to see that because I don't know about you guys, but I have not watched much Winter Olympics at all. Besides, I think the the USA versus Canada women's hockey game was like the first Olympics I've watched. So, but yeah, the men's tournament here starts today, maybe tomorrow in in Eastern time. It's it's tough. I don't know. I get all this whole time change thing is really tough. Like thirteen hour difference. But yeah, so they'll be without their their top four players when they play Michigan State this weekend. Obviously, a, a huge series. And the first game Friday is at Yoast. But the Saturday's game is at LCA in the annual Duel in the D matchup. Um, so it'll be interesting to, to cover the game there. It's always exciting for players, too, to play at a new venue. So, um, yeah, big series with, with Mission off last week. Ohio State took the lead in the Big Ten, three points ahead of Michigan. But the Wolverines now have two games in hand on the Buckeyes and they will square off next week. So, yeah, two key, key series here moving forward for Michigan. They have six games remaining in the in the regular season, and they, too, are chasing their first Big Ten title. So uh, we'll have plenty of coverage here throughout the weekend of, of both games. There you have it. Basketball, football, hockey. We've got you. We've got everything covered here on the Wolverine Confidential Podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.